Blog Talk Radio. Because we're going to need 
some consistency uh, out of them if we're going to go on another deep run. So uh, I'm very encouraged with these last two games. I got a, I got a question real quick. I'm not complaining, not saying that I'm the only one that thought of this. Uh, it hit me Saturday against the Florida game, but I've just been sitting on it until today. Didn't write about it, didn't tweet about it. Just wanted to wait and ask it, throw it out on the show. Um, because, I mean, we 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 know, you know, coaches like to have the rotations. Coach Cal likes to get it down, you know, to, you know, eight-man rotation. He'll play just a certain amount, you know, starters and then guys off the bench. But here's my question. And it might have been said on call-in shows. It might have been said on, you know, talk shows since Saturday. But you get the news that Alex is going to be out Saturday against Florida, kind of an 11th-hour deal, the same way Isaiah Briscoe was out uh, against Louisville. I mean, Isaiah was even more 11th-hour. He was was warming up. Um, So automatically you got to change how you do things. And – you throw Isaac Humphreys out there, and he does well. Plays 16 minutes, gets some rebounds, gets some blocks, scores some points, gets up down the floor well. And then your know, post-game, Cal is talking about how he told Scal, hey, man, Isaac's breathing, Isaac breathing down your neck. You know, this, here's another guy coming in there, you know, to, to take some of your minutes if your game ain't right. If you ain't watching your back, you know, Isaac's going to move on past you <laughs> up the ladder. My question is, if if Alex doesn't get hurt, do we see Isaac? And let's say when Alex comes back, because we've seen how the bigs have been no-showing throughout the season, if Alex comes back and he disappears or isn't playing like we know he can, throw Isaac in there then. You know, if you can, if you can play him when Alex is out with an injury, you can play him when Alex is in foul trouble or ineffective. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's just what I've been wondering. I'm like, man, we could have been seeing him well, maybe. I know matchups and this and that, but, you know, we could have seen him a little bit more. Well, my my, my thing is I would have liked to have seen uh, Humphreys against Kansas. Uh, I think he would have really, really helped uh, during that game. And he, if he continues playing like he has, and, and Euless has, has raved about how he sets picks and how he moves, uh, that's another big body. And if he's taking minutes from either Scal or, or Marcus or, or, or Alex, more power to him. We, we need a big. We've got between Euless and Murray and even Briscoe. I know his free throws and all that. But he can make plays on both ends of the court. With those three, the bigs don't have to be great. They really just have to be serviceable. And we see that when they're serviceable, when they're efficient, it's it's night and day difference between the teams. Scal needs to be out there simply because he's got that jump shot, that 15, 16-foot jump shot that's going to keep defenses honest and you've got uh you know Euless up top going to a pick and roll situation with a big 
And and on that, either way he goes, you've either got Murray on one side, you've got uh, Derek Willis on the other, kind of floating to the uh, corner for those corner threes, those on the you know on the wing. So with Euless penetrating, he he's going there. He can get that three. He can continue to the rim, or he can kick back out if if it's Scal. That's a jump shot at the free throw line. He can hit. That really opens the offense instead of Euless and Murray creating every single thing. Uh, and I, I, I like it. And you know, I wrote a piece on Wildcat Blue Nation about this. Like I don't know how Cal's going to figure it out. But I think he's going to figure it out. And it looks as if getting Humphreys into the rotation, putting some visible pressure on Scal, uh, you know, hopefully Alex comes back. I think that's a good thing. We had talked about the drought from Marcus Lee. We hadn't seen any lobs. Well, we've seen a lot of lobs lately. He's got to be the active person in the post. At the beginning of the season, he was getting two or three baskets simply by out-hustling the other big man down the court or in the half-court set. He's got to continue to do that. And, and Scal, like you mentioned, not only – I mean, he's, he's been pretty good with the jumper. Even when he was struggling, he still shot of confidence even if he wasn't hitting it. But he, he, you like his chances when he's, you know, squared up and shooting it. Last night, Georgia chased him off for the jumper twice. And, you know, he pumped fake and took that dribble to the left and went right on up and knocked it down. So uh, that's, you know, even another little facet that he's got. Uh, we knew he was skilled offensively. Got seven rebounds last night, and that's been, you know, one of the big things that's been keeping him on the bench. Uh, foul trouble, not getting rebounds, not being strong on the defensive end in the rebound department. So uh, he's still – you know, gradually progressing in the right direction. Well, and, and Cal has admitted, I know publicly and probably uh, privately, he, he was misusing Scal. Scal is not a back-to-the-basket post player like like we've, we've had uh, since Cal has been here in particular. And, and, and putting uh, – and putting Scal in, in a different position to attack – you know, you see, like you said, now defenses have to run him off that shot. And and that kind of action opens it up for everything. So it's it's definitely a good thing that we're seeing as we kind of move forward because we got some road tests coming up. Uh they're gonna be well, they're gonna be very tough. Yeah, and um you mentioned it, just just the big man being serviceable, just be adequate, consistently adequate and you can you can almost see the pressure lessening off of the shoulders of Euless and Murray, uh, and for they they've been playing well all year. Murray was you know lights out last night. Euless, you tweeted out you know death taxes, Tyler Euless. Uh, you know what he's gonna do, and they the burden on them isn't as daunting when the big men are at least you know, showing that they're out there on the floor, uh, adequately taking what, some of the pressure off of them. And, and when you when you look at it, 
you know, through some of those losses, uh, we didn't get a whole lot out of the bigs, obviously, at LSU. But Kansas, once Derek Willis fouled out, you know, he was in foul trouble, I'm surprised we even got to overtime because it became Ulysses and Murray. Yeah. And if the bigs do anything, I mean, just they don't even have to be fantastic, just be solid defensively and, and rebound and, and, and hit those shots, uh, you, know, you know, hit those, those jumpers, uh, attack the rim, crash the boards. If they can do that, this team can make some noise come March. I mean, every, everybody is still still searching to find themselves. Everybody uh, for in that's, you know, got a number by their name and beyond is still searching. They, they can't say they teach. They can't say they're absolutely ready and know what they're going to be come March. Uh, got a new number one team this week at the polls, going uh, over for the first time in school history. So it's their turn in the revolving door, if you will. Uh, their turn to have a crack at being number one. We'll see how many weeks they have it. Uh, do they make it through the weekend? Uh, we'll see in what a crazy season this has been. But uh, that just goes to show once again how up in the air this really is this season. Yeah, and and, and here's what I know and, and what most people know about March and the tournament. If you've got a guard that is a playmaker and is, is, is dynamic and is elite, you can go far. When you when you look at you know past champions and, and that, if you've got a guard that can really be dynamic, that gives you an advantage. And when I say that, is there is there another point guard in the country that you would trade Tyler Eulis for straight up? I wouldn't. You know, that's why I wasn't upset at the Kansas game. Nine seconds left, he's got the ball in his hands. Okay, he dribbles it off his foot. But still, I'm okay with that because right now I'm going to ride or die for Tyler Ewis. That, that, he, he's the dude right now. And if other people kind of step up and meet him where he is, this team is going to be fine. And, and they're doing that. He is being a leader. Outside of that one outburst uh, at Scal, I think it was the Ohio State game, even as the big men have made some fouls they shouldn't have and, and fumbled some passes and not done what they should, he has not been demonstrative on the court. He hasn't rolled his eyes. He hasn't pointed fingers. The opposite. He's been very uh, the coach on the floor. He's talking to guys, you know, asking them, this is what we need you to do. And the guys have responded to that. You know, I tweeted out last night, we've had some great, great point guards at Kentucky. You know, since Kyle's been here and before. But I don't know if there's ever been a point guard that I completely trust to run the team like Tyler Ulysses is doing right now. And I say that, I'm a huge Wayne Turner fan. I think he gets overlooked for what he accomplished during his college career, same for Anthony Epps. But night in, night out, he can't afford to have an off game, and he hasn't had one. You know, the games where he was hurt, those are the games where he really, really struggled. But he's been bringing it every single night. And I just had some people respond back to me and say, you know, Kyle Macy, well, that's a little before my time. I don't remember him at Kentucky. 
But kind of as I've been watching from the early 90s on, I, I just don't know if there's a another point guard that's been as dynamic on both ends of the court and who has, you know, he's a little general. He kind of rallies the troops. He, he's what you want, you know, in a team captain. I just don't know of any other player that has done more than what he's doing. Right, right. And uh, we'll catch our breath real quick and jump into that on the other side and see if we can come up with anybody. I saw that tweet, too, and I was trying to think as I watched the game, uh, see if it come to my mind. And I got a little comparison um, that I tweeted out, and I got to get your thoughts on as well as we continue to talk Kentucky basketball recapping the wins over Florida and Georgia. We'll get into a little bit of that, as well as all the rest of the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the show. Listen to Cats Talk Wednesday with Benny Hardy and Terry Brown on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Cats Talk Wednesday, Finney Hardy, Terry Brown. Happy Wednesday to everybody. Appreciate you taking out time to listen to the show, uh, whether it be now or if you catch the podcast at your convenience. Um, thanks for giving us your ear because you can be doing whatever else you want to do. But appreciate you hopping on and listening as we talk UK hoops and a little bit of everything else. 
every Wednesday evening for a couple of hours. We have a lot of fun like we always do. Uh, tonight will be no different. Before we went to the break, we talked about TV. You were trying to come up with guards, you know, uh, and comparing them to Tyler Eulis. And Anthony, you said Wayne Turner's up underrated. Anthony Epps is too. Uh, my dad and I were talking about him the other day. And back in 98, 96, rather, he was, you know, he kept saying, you know, they're not going to be any good until they put Epps as a starter. And it, it, he didn't start the whole year. He was kind of trying to find the right fit at point guard. Once Anthony Epps was inserted, you know, things took off. With, of course, the talent at all the other positions was off the charts. But A.E. just kind of, you know, had everybody in the right place at the right time, controlled things, ran the show, um, and he did a good job of it too uh, with with all the big-time ballers that he was surrounded by on those teams. Yeah, and, and Anthony Epps, again, he gets, he gets completely uh, underrated as well. I mean, that, that 96 postseason SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, he had somewhere between an eight or nine – to one assist turnover ratio, which is ridiculous. I mean, he, he flat took care of the ball. And those guys on the 96 team will tell you that, like you said, once he got into the starting lineup and it was kind of – he was the quarterback, uh, he ran that offense to perfection. Uh, so, and, and I say that I'm not sliding any of the other point guards – that we've had, but Julius is, is asked to do a lot on both ends of the court, on and off the court, and I don't know if we've had a point guard that has had to do quite as much. Um, the one that would come to mind would be Brandon Knight because that team wasn't, that 2011 team wasn't that deep, wasn't that uh, – didn't have as much talent as some of the other teams. So he had to do an absolute lot. And you see he kind of, I don't want to say he wore out, but he played a lot of minutes like Ulysses is doing, leading the SEC in minutes played around 36 uh, and a half minutes per game. Uh, Ulysses has a lot on his plate, and even Cal has said he has asked more of, of Tyler than any other point guard that he has had. So, um he, and he's also reached that rarefied status where he's almost above reproach. Usually a player misses a shot or something like that, Twitter kind of erupts. I have not seen that with Ulysses. You know, there was one tweet, I can't remember who made it, that kind of blamed the Kansas loss on Ulysses, and that response was swift and it was loud and it was vocal. Did he make mistakes? Yes. But Ulysses, and I'm not saying that any, you know, hands off any player, but he has earned that that kind of love and trust from the B, uh, Big Blue Nation that few players, no matter how good they are, reach. Uh, he, he's kind of reached that status. Um, so I, I enjoy watching him play. I, I really do. Uh, I don't want to, you know, a lot of people worry about where he's going to be in the NBA. I'm not too worried about that. I just know. He's a great college point guard, and for as long as he can play at Kentucky, we are going to be in good hands. Yeah, no doubt about that. 
at all. Um, and the emergence of Willis, you kind of wonder where they would be without him kind of putting it together these last handful of games like he has, especially with all the other um, flaws and inconsistencies with the other big men. Uh, he's hitting yep. shots now and, and rebounding, and uh, you can see him trying to improve his defense with each passing game. Uh, last night when he got in the passing lane uh, and got the deflections that led to the steal and the dunk, he, he finished it off with that Statue of Liberty, and you always say, I don't say it, but I don't disagree with it, but you always say we're old and date ourselves sometimes on the show when things we reference. And last night, that just reminded me, and I'm going I'm to throw it out there, and you, know, you being Mr. Laker can approve it or shoot it down. That reminded me of a little bit of James Worthy. I tweeted out, he's like, well, old school James Worthy on the break. And he do. He always finished jumping off one foot with that Statue of Liberty, and uh, that's that's what I thought. You know, six nine long, and that was my first thought when when Willis made that play last night. Yeah, I mean, he looked uh, he's looked comfortable. And here's the thing: I was wrong about Willis. Uh, I was kind of flashing back to 2013 when when uh, Jared Polson, who was a great player, and I don't want to knock the kid, but I was still saying. Okay, if if Polson is having to give you 20 minutes a game, this team probably isn't what it needs to be. You know, it kind of came to pass. Good kid, but I, I just didn't think he should be getting 20, 25 minutes. And when Willis started getting playing time, I said, well, is this the same kind of situation? Of course, the fans want him to play. He's a Kentucky kid. You know, he's he's from Bullitt County right here outside of Louisville. Is is that what we're going to to see? Well, no. Yes, he can shoot. And, you know, when he had those great games where he was shooting uh, when he first started playing. But as you said, he's doing a lot more. And it's not that Cal just decided to play more. He's actually doing these things. He'll be the first to tell you that he wasn't doing those things necessary to stay on the floor. Uh, I believe it was after Vanderbilt where Willis didn't shoot terribly well. Uh, I think he he shot pretty poorly that game. But Cal told him, he said it in the press conference, uh, post-game press conference, I can leave Derek out there because if he misses a shot, there's still things he can do to help the team on the court. Whereas before, if he's not going to take the shot, not going to hit it, I, I can't leave him out there. But he's better defensively than I think we give him credit for. Uh, and when you see when he's hustled, when he's playing the passing lane, uh, he can get out and he can finish. I think we get – uh, kind of stuck on, particularly on the defensive end, about a guy's athleticism and and how quick he is and how he can jump and all that kind of stuff. But defense, particularly team defense, it's about playing those passing lanes. It's about understanding where the ball is going to come and being ready for it. So is Willis the best on-the-ball defender? Probably not. But as far as team defense, he knows how to get in position. And uh, the best I can liken it to is to the late Tony Gwynn. Uh, Sports Illustrated did an article, you know, years ago talking about outfielders you don't want to run on. And it was like Raul Mondesi and these guys with big arms, but they also said Tony Gwynn. 
why is that? I mean, you know, Tubby Gwynn, t- t- Tubby Gwynn, Tony Gwynn never looked <laughs> well, like, uh, well. <laughs> yeah, never looked, he never looked like an Adonis out there. But they said the way he plays the angles, you know, when the ball hits uh, off of the outfield wall, the way he plays the angles and can get the ball where it needs to be, it makes him a very effective outfielder. And I say that to kind of, you don't have to be a great athlete to to play great defense, and I and I think that's what we're seeing with uh, with Derek Willis and his maturation and his growing up is he's doing these little things, and some of it may not show up in the box score, but he's doing these little things that Cal says, hey, I can give you twenty five thirty minutes a game now, and he's becoming one of those guys that Cal can trust. Cal knows what he is going to get out of Tyler Ellis. He knows what he's going to get out of Jamal Murray, although Murray's been on an absolute tear lately. He even knows what he's going to get from Briscoe. And now Willis is in that category. He knows what he can expect from Derek Willis. And really that's what a, uh, that's what a coach wants at this point of the season. Who can I trust to go out there and do what they need uh, to do, and and Humphreys is starting to show, uh, Cal, you can trust me too. You know, I may not be able to do some things as other big men around the country, but I can do enough to help this team win. That's a very good thing. Yeah, and um, let's see if if he gets some minutes against South Carolina, uh, if if it carries over again. Of course, it's going to be out a couple of weeks now, uh, so we'll we'll see if, if, if the opportunity is going to be longer than one game. Uh, his number is going to be called a little bit more. Uh, and it, like you said, these road tests coming up at South Carolina. South Carolina is going to play here in a few minutes, uh, playing LSU. So uh, they got a big week. They got LSU tonight and then Kentucky this weekend. So. Uh, a tough back-to-back for them, and we'll see how they handle the first phase of that uh, tonight. It's going to tip off while we're on the air. Ben Simmons and LSU heading to Columbia to face Frank Martin in the surprising South Carolina Gamecocks. And, and South Carolina has always been a tough place to play. It, it really yes. has, for whatever reason, you know, that was the, the game that Cal got thrown out in 2014, the infamous you-made-your-bed game. Uh, that was a game when the Cats became number one uh, in 2010 with the John Wall team that they lost. But whatever, and, and people of our age remember back in 97, yeah, that South Carolina beat Kentucky at home on senior day for like the first time in forever when they had Aaron McKee and B.J. Mackey, and, and that and they actually won the SEC during, in 97, believe it or not. For you young yeah, people, you all should Google it. But South right. Carolina, for whatever reason, and their, their all-time record against Kentucky isn't great, but we've had difficulty beating them, particularly at South Carolina, for whatever reason. And then right in between that to make a – South Carolina sandwich, you know, between the 97 and what happened in 2010, uh, you had Devin Downey doing what he did. Was that, was that Devin, was Devin in 2010? Yeah, that might have been 
Yeah, that was the John Wall that they had Devin Downey. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, when he put yeah. 30, well, scored 30 down in Columbia, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, for whatever reason, um, getting uh, down to South Carolina has, has been a difficult proposition uh, for the Cats. But right now, they just need to take care of business. And uh, as the way the SEC has shaken up, uh, A&M, Texas A&M, has come down to earth. And, and Kentucky can still push and, and win its umpteenth uh, SEC uh, championship. 50. So, I, I, yeah. honestly, I, I don't know off the top of my head. It's a lot to a little for everybody else. But they can still <laughs> win it again. <laughs> yeah, and I'll I'll pull them standings up and and see um, everybody's conference standings. I'll talk about that in just a second. But just going back to the game last night, real quick, you've been to Rupp Arena many times, so have I. You covered a lot of games this season, and we've all seen it. We got to mention um, the spill that was taken in the second deck with the dancing guy. I mean, we've all seen him. He gets on TV. Uh, and once again, you like to say that we're old. And I usually, in my mind, say, speak for yourself, even though we're both 38. Dancing guy, <laughs> dancing guy ain't no spring ticket. And we're old, but he ain't no spring ticket. And, you know, he's moving and, and doing his thing during timeout, but he, he made a decision last night that you know he would like to have back. Uh, when the young girl was on video, it was on ESPN.com, it was everywhere, uh, the young girl was down there and, you know, started dancing with him, and he picks her up on the stairs. We've seen him split the rail by himself, which is, look, that's that's – that's a risky proposition of some, some pain that you don't want. But he he slid down the rail with the young lady in his arm, uh, got his foot caught on the step, and lost control of her and himself. Uh, when you look at it, she, like, hits her ribs on one of the rails and goes down, and then he does too. Could have been way worse than it really was. And thankfully, that... Uh, it didn't end up worse for the both of them. UK Boogeyman on Twitter, the first name is Darren, but I don't call him Dancing Guy, but scary, scary moment. Glad it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, and let me, I'm on the record. I love Dancing Guy because here's the, me here's too. the thing. Me too. Uh, Rupp, and I, uh, I, I'm always plugging my piece, but I wrote about Rupp. The the building itself, the it's not great. It's not it's not Fog Allen Field House. It's not Cameron Indoor. It's not the Palestra in Philadelphia. It's it's not right. it's not any of those venues. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it's that mid seventies kind of construction. When you think back to um, you know Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, actually, I think that was old. But you know, uh, Synergy Field that the Reds had, Riverfront, uh, three yeah, they, River they look the like they look the just like though, and, and the 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 vet in in Philly. Yeah. it's one of those that was constructed. It's it's big, but there's not a lot. 
and, and people will complain about the fans, and that's always what people say. But here's the thing. At the game, the upper level stays loud. The TV cameras are low, and the lower level, admittedly, is not as loud as the upper level. But the folks at the game do get loud. So what Kentucky has had to do is try to, I don't want to say manufacture different things, but they've got traditions that they brought in with the eruption zone and different things like that to kind of – because Rupp is only good because the team has been good. I mean, that that's – and I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm going to say it. The building itself, nothing special, but the teams have been very good. You know, you've got the banners up there and everything. I say all that to get to this point. Dancing guy – and he comes out the second half. I forget what timeout it kind of focuses on him. I can't remember. It's fun. It is. He is a fan. I understand he's a cancer survivor. He's a Kentucky fan. And he's going to dance and he's going to boogie. More power to him. Last night, I saw the, 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 the footage of the spill. And I'm going to tell you, look, I've been at dance clubs. I have been dancing with someone and made a mistake. We both ended up on the floor. I, I, that that happens where you like, I'm going to yeah. do this, and it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to be. That's one thing on a dance floor, but on the rail and the upper level at Rupp, which is very, very steep and concrete steps, that's not where you want to have one of those uh-oh moments. I think it's a one-shot deal. Thankfully, it's not as bad as it could have been. I don't want to see dancing guys stop dancing because – that's what makes college basketball special is you've got things like that. He's become a tradition. And I don't yeah. want to see that uh event kind of scar him uh you know kind of prevent that from from happening. And we'll we'll see what happens but I mean you can bet that he won't be taking anybody up again. I'm and he was on Twitter and he was sorry and and all that. Um, it's just one of those things that just probably just caught up, caught up in the moment doing the thing. Oh, I can do Like you said, you think you can do something, and then, uh-oh, and right halfway down that rail, that uh-oh, kind of like when, when Carl Lewis tried to hit that high note in natural anthem, and then, uh-oh, you, once you're in, and it's that, that point of no return. And that point of no return is, magnified when you were in the second level of rough with the incline there being what it is. So um, if she had been hurt worse, because they said security escorted him out last night, if she gotten hurt really bad, I would, I mean, I don't know, like you said, I would bet that that might have been his last go-around. With her not being hurt bad, maybe he can still just come in and do his thing without interaction, you know, when everybody just kind of, you know, watch him and video him and, you know, like like it always has to. Yeah, I don't want to see him uh, go away, but, you know, really that was the biggest excitement of the second half last night, and uh, <laughs> I will take games like that. I'll be honest with you. After some of the, the nail biters that we've had, give me a, give me a game like that. I'm okay with that. Uh, some people say you get kind of bored with that. I do not. I do not get bored 
with my team being up 30 points. That, to me, is what I like to see. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, if I could see that, that, that would be less stress on me and, and, and great. So give me more yeah. games uh, like last night. Absolutely. Um, and one more quick thing, we'll take another break, catch our breath again. Thompson Bowling Arena, this is to just drive home your point about Rupp Arena. We've all had this debate. You've written pieces about it. It was all really raging a couple of years ago when the thought was out there that Rupp Arena was going to be renovated and the convention center and all that and the city of Lexington and UK and Mayor Jim Gray and all of that. But it, it didn't happen. But just marinate on this. Thompson Bowling Arena, of course, I, I live hopping a jump from it, was built. And on the outside, it's still kind of, it was built in the 80s, so it's, it's not like a, an architectural wonder on the outside. It's kind of like a big hexagon or octagon on the outside. That's the way it looks when you walk up and, and check it out right there next to Newland Stadium. It was built in 1987. So we're talking 11 years after Rupp Arena. And, of course, they built it, you know, 24,000 plus. They wanted it to have more seating capacity than Rupp Arena, and that was kind of their whole big deal to kind of outdo, even though the only time it would sell out was when Kentucky was in town. So be it. They built Thompson Bowling 11 years after Rupp Arena TV. And inside, they have already renovated. They renovated in 2007 for the first time, took out some seats, added some suites, knocked it down from 24000 to a little bit over 21000 made it kind of look more like an NBA arena. Rupp Arena, I'm sorry, Thompson Bowling, 11 years younger than Rupp and has already had a renovation going on 10 years, 9 years and counting ago. So it wasn't even 20 years old when they renovated. That drives the point home about Rupp Arena and where we are with that. Just let that sink in. Built in 87, renovated in 07. You know, big-time stuff, took out seats and redid the whole interior. And yet we're still just kind of waiting and seeing when it comes to Rupp Arena. And I've got some thoughts on that, so let's take a break, and we can we can pick that up when we come back. Listen to the Cats Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com, the Malice and Mario's coming right at you like it always does. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Cast Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown rolling through the first hour of the show uh, and got to talking about renovations and arenas and rep arena and Thompson Bowling and ended with Dancing God and that kind of got us all on the whole arena thing. And you had some thoughts before break about that in particular. Well, the, here it, we know that the deal to, to renovate Rupp really, really fell through uh, a couple of years ago because of, I, I think, the, the Lexington leadership kind of overreaching what they thought was feasible. Um, Rupp, it, and let's be fair, they, Rupp Arena has had some upgrades. When we were in school, the seats, for whatever reason, were red, yellow, and orange, and it was even more uh, cookie-cutter than it is now with the, the new scoreboards and the, the floor is new, blue seats, uh, the, the big video boards in the corner, you know, Big Bertha, yeah, the, the big sound system there in the middle is scheduled. To, this is going to be Bertha's last season. So there have been things that have been done. The problem is, UT can cut seats down from more than 24 to, we say, 18,000, 19,000. Is that right? You, uh, UT went from 24 down to 21. Okay. Well, whatever they they can do that. Well, at, at Rupp, you can't you can't do that. <laughs> you can't you you can't really cut seats because of the demand for the seats. And I think if you cut the seats by any significant dip, not great. That's not not going to be a good thing. The biggest issue, and I don't know how UT did their renovation, is uh, you, you can't really take Rupp Arena out of commission for any part of the basketball season, and especially not the entire season. That, I think, has always been the – deal breaker toward a full renovation and why a lot of people thought I personally thought that a new arena you know next to Rupp should have and could be built because if you're going to do a full renovation and and the cats won't be able to play there for a season that is that's going to be a disaster it's going to be a disaster are they going to play at much smaller Memorial Coliseum? Or it's going to be a logistical situation. Um, so I, there's a lot of things at play. Uh, Rupp, I think, needs to be renovated. It, it, I know the locker room has been renovated, but I would like to see some amenities at Rupp that you see at other arenas. Uh, it upsets me that the you know, best arena in the state is where U of L plays. The Yum Center is fantastic. It's a great venue. Yeah. I hate going yeah. there uh, because of the financials of this, but it's a fantastic arena. Overlooking the river, it's beautiful. I think Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, uh, should play in the best arena in the state. But because of the Yum situation, I think that has handcuffed a lot of things that folks would want to do with Rupp Arena. 
uh, because you can't have two money pits on the books in one state, particularly a state as poor as Kentucky. Uh, so that's where I sit on the, the RUP renovation. Right, right. And speaking of, you know, the, the, the team that plays in the Yum Center, we just move right on over to everything that they got going on. Um, a lot of stuff that didn't happen in the Yum Center is what has them cutting short their season in the form of a, a postseason ban uh, that was levied. They put on themselves. Not still. Do we still know who the decision was? Was it Ramsey? Was it Jurich? They both were all trying to say they did it. Who, who finally ended up just deciding to do it? Rick wasn't happy, I, I, but I mean, how did how did it all pan out? What's going on up there in your hometown, man? It's crazy here. The past this, this is this is uh, this is just me rambling. Okay, this is my thoughts on this U of L situation. Number one, most of the U of L fans, they're angry at the wrong people. They're angry at KSR's Matt Jones for uh, he had uh, Katina Powell on the show uh, the other day on his show. Uh, they're angry at the NCAA for I don't know what, because I, I don't think the NCAA actually uh, – handed down the verdict. As far as I know, they're still investigating. Uh, they're angry for uh, Trey Lewis and uh, oh, I'm Damian Lee. And Lee. Yeah, Damian, they're, they're angry for those guys not being able to play. But that's the way the NCAA works. The NCAA never really punishes the people that, that commit the crimes. It's always the people that are left behind. That's just the way it works. Uh, for the most part, uh, you, the people that do it just aren't going to get caught. Here's here's my thoughts. When all this hit over the summer, and most Louisville fans, it's no big deal. It happens everywhere. You can't trust what she's saying. It's blown out of proportion. Okay. Last and this is what kills me, the Friday before the Super Bowl, everybody in PR knows you got bad news, you do it on a Friday afternoon. Right. That's when Congress releases bad things. That's when the – just bad news comes out Friday afternoon because people forget about it. But the Friday before the Super Bowl is when they release this news that they're not going to play. What my thought process is, something changed because Jurich, Ramsey, and Patino had been very defiant about what did and did not happen. Scramble together and say, you know what, we are going to forego this season and the postseason. Something changed. They either confirmed something more than what we know as a general public. Something happened. For them to say the best course of action is to slap ourselves on the wrist and try to get ahead of the NCAA. Something, whatever it was, they like I said, they found out something, corroborated something, 
I don't know if if there was some stuff that that uh, that Katina Powell did not put in the book that somehow got corroborated. Something happened, and we will find out at one point at, at one point what it all is. It always comes out. So now you've got these three guys trying to hold on to their jobs. The longer this goes, I don't see Patino coming back next season. I think this is his last season at UofL. I think he is upset because he had decided that this was going to be his last season, his last big hurrah, if you will, and now that has been taken away. So I don't think it was Patino's decision to uh, give up the postseason this year. Uh, I, I don't believe that. Jurich and Ramsey are kind of going back and forth because you've got to look at what UofL has done here the last five or six years. You've got Patino and his Karen Cipher ordeal. You've got Bobby Petrino when he left. And, you know, since he's come back, everybody's kind of kissed and made up. But when he left, George was quoted as saying he was kind of glad that he went. Yeah. So he's come back with his baggage. So you've got that. And now you've got another scandal that is Louisville's been in the news for all the wrong reasons. And then on the academic side, there's questions about how President Ramsey and his staff, how they're getting paid, quote-unquote, off the books. There's questions. There have been several uh, professors at the university that have been investigated for misusing government grants, not one or two, but we're talking three or four in different departments. If I was a U of L fan and alumni, I would be concerned. It's not just the athletic department. It's everything that seems to be running just a lawless institution. And I know I'm a Kentucky fan. I know how that's going to come off. But when you look at these things, it's it's who's accountable for anything. So I don't know which one of those three are going to survive. I think Rick is gone. Uh, I saw someone tweet out today that USB is interested in Tom Jurich. Uh, yeah, yeah. He could be gone. I think a lot of people are losing favor with President Ramsey, and he could be gone. Uh, and then you, you'll, you'll have kind of Petrino, Bobby Petrino being the face of the university. So there's a lot going on, and, 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 and Louisville fans, they can point fingers and, and, and whatnot, but it all came down to bringing either they were strippers or there was more to it onto campus. And you you bring them onto campus in Minority Hall that was built specifically for the basketball team to keep these kinds of things from happening. That's what blows my mind. It, it, Cal should have known about Derrick Rose and his ACT or that he should have known about Marcus Camby and the agent. Okay, maybe. But you've got this situation that occurred not once, but over a period of time 
right, you know, in a lot of instances in this dormitory on campus, somebody had to know something. And once it comes out, it's going to be that thing, who knew what when? And all these people that have been denying, even though there have been recruits saying, oh, yeah, I went to those parties. It's not so much the crime, it's the cover-up where you get caught. And I think that's where UofL is right now. Yeah. And that was uh, Tony Vanetti tweeted out that USC was putting on a full-court press for Tom Jurich. Uh This was an article by Matt Blankenbaker from thecrunchzone.com. So, uh, and Jurich is from the Southern California area and He's turned down that job before, but, you know, it hasn't been this much uncertainty at Louisville before when Southern Cal has come calling. So we'll see what happens. Um, you, you you talked how it, it looks like it'll be hard to see Rick coming back. It looks like, the you know, Bramsey should have maybe been going already with uh, a lot of dirt that's on his hands. And uh, now it's even, you know, reaching over to Tom George as well. So maybe the band is breaking up. You know, we'll see in the next little bit. And as far as them getting angry at, at Katina Powell, her going on, you know, KSR with Matt Jones, that didn't change, you know, anything. Um, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't just making stuff up. <laughs> and like you said, something happened to where to realize that, they were more busted than they thought for them to go ahead and try to start slapping themselves on the wrist to lighten the butt whooping that's coming. Well, and, and, and here is some things I'm actually glad about with this uh, situation. Number one, the jokes from Card Nation toward Kentucky about Kentucky being the dirty program and Cal being dirty, they have to stop now. Okay. Your, your two big coaches at your school have both – this is Patino's second situation, okay? So – and, and we all know what happened to Patrino at Arkansas, okay? So those are that's, – that's done. And I've seen sensible Louisville fans actually say that, okay? You can't play that card anymore. I'm also excited because now they've all rallied around uh, Lewis and Lee, the fifth-year – senior transfers that came in who now won't be able to play in the tournament. So the entire Cardinal nation has, 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 has wrapped them up and, and has made them the kind of uh, cause du jour. Uh, mm-hmm. When for years they told us, you can't attach yourself to someone who's only on campus for a year. <laughs> How do you build a bond with a player who's only there passing through. And I just want someone to tell me, what is the difference between Lee and Lewis and, and, and Brandon Knight, who was a 4-0 student, John Wall was a three-something student as he came through, Anthony Davis. What, what's, the, what's the difference? Those guys, Lewis and, and – uh, why can't I remember his name? Those guys – Lee. Lee, 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 Lewis. Lee, Lee, like – like uh, Chris Tucker and Rush out. Lee, come on, Lee, Lee. Yeah. What's, what's the difference? Oh, right. Kentucky guys. 
and, and, and yes, you can. I mean, when all this went down, those guys had played 20 games for Louisville. 20. 20 games. And all of a sudden, there's this outpouring of sadness and, and anger for those guys who the fan base didn't know until tip-off in October. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. those two things about our program being dirty and, and not being able to embrace one and dones those two narratives off the table. And I'm excited about that. I really am. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's just all coming back to bite them in a variety of different ways, even even things like that that they have said and stood by for years, and now they flip-flopped and, and changed their stance, you know, it, <laughs> in a matter of days on it, to fit how they want to feel or how they want things to come across or, or which and, things were. Yeah, and, and, and we know college athletics, especially big-time college athletics, it is a unseemly business. You've got grown-ups profiting off of teens uh, to early 20s. Uh, and it's just unseemly. It is. Uh, and my thing is, if, if those athletes get a little bit extra, I'm okay with it. Because as, as I said when I was in school, ain't nobody paying $25 to see me do anything. But these... <laughs> These guys are the the money that comes in. I'm okay with a little bit of stuff, which is why I just don't think you should sit on your high horse because all it takes, and I think we talked about this a long time ago, is all it takes is an 18-year-old to make a bad decision, and now your school is in trouble. But what we've seen, and we've just seen some moral failings from the higher-ups there, and I know, you know, morals and all that kind of stuff is old-fashioned and whatnot, but uh, I think it has an effect on the team. I also believe yeah. all this scrambling around that UofL has done is they will sacrifice anyone and anything to keep to keep that title, to keep that banner up there. <laughs> you know, the NCAA has never stripped a basketball team and you know, and I'm, I'm not saying they will because I don't know what will come out of this, but I think the university, more than just those three guys, will do whatever they can, sacrifice whoever, so that doesn't happen. And according to Katrina Powell, about half of the members of the title team were over there at Minority Hall when, when all the shenanigans were going down. So uh, I don't, you know, not, not saying that'll keep it enough to make them be the first to lose the banner, but you know, 2013 was not an exception when we're talking about all this stuff that happened from 2010 to 2014. Yeah, and 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 it's not so much the I know, you know, sex sales. I understand that, but. If the NCA says improper benefits, that's a big deal. And if they found out that somebody other than Andre McGee knew about it or somehow funded it, that's a lack of institutional control. And, and I'm telling you, uh, 
depending on what they find, that banner could come down. I don't think it will, but I think that possibility grows, and I think the powers that be at Louisville think that, or else they wouldn't be out trying to get in front of this situation. Right, right. Um, let's take us another little break. We are still close to the top of the hour, um, and we'll scoreboard watch just a little bit because, TB, we got South Carolina and UCLA, uh, LSU on, uh, as well as Texas A&M and Alabama. Um, we'll look at the standings and all of that and see how, you know, uh, that can play out with what happens tonight, see how the conference was, you know, set up and shift and move heading into the weekend because Texas A&M has come back to earth a little bit, come back down to the pack, uh, and the SEC is more wide open now than it was a couple of weeks ago. So we'll talk about that. A uh, couple little music notes that we need to talk about, and then we'll get into Super Bowl, put a bow on Super Bowl 50, uh, and then get into some NBA all-Star Weekend Talk because Big Lou will be well represented in all of those festivities coming up from Toronto this coming weekend. Talked about it a little bit last week. We'll talk about it a little more tonight leading into All-Star Weekend because that's our favorite All-Star game of them all. You're listening to Cats Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Make me crazy. 
Welcome back to Cat Talk Wednesday. Alongside Terry Brown, Kenny Hardy. Another fun show. Into the second hour we've gone. Talk UK, recap the last two wins, talk a few of L scandal. Uh, we'll get into some Super Bowl discussion. Uh, but before that, I got a little little off the wall thing real quick. I just saw. Uh, I don't. Know, I think it was trending on Twitter. Burger King was trending when I got out of work because they are about to start selling hot dogs. You've got a grilled one with the relish and the ketchup and mustard and et cetera. Then they got a chili, like a chili dog too. Uh, your thoughts on Burger King adding a hot dog to the menu? Are you even a Burger King guy to begin with? I, I think Burger King burgers are are the best hamburgers. I, better than McDonald's. Uh, better than Wendy's. I really like Burger King. But you, you get You're to a the point too. where I'm a Whopper. I, I you know sometimes I get the double Whopper. But <laughs> you you got to stay in your lane. It used to be, and this is my get-off-my-lawn moment, you go to McDonald's Uh-oh. for a hamburger, that's all they have. What kind of hamburger do you want? Then when McDonald's started doing chicken nuggets, and you remember way back when the nuggets and the commercials, they were talking and all that kind Once McDonald's did that, then people started saying, well, everybody can do everything. <laughs> and now you can go to Wendy's and get a salad. You can go to... Uh, uh, Arby's and you can get prime rib with old jus sauce. I, stay in your lane. You, you go to now KFC is about the only one they stick with chicken. But what what they got that one sandwich where it's two pieces of chicken or the bread then stuff in the middle. That's too much. Stay in your lane. Oh, the Burger double King, down. Yeah, yeah, the double down a heart attack, man. Heart attack. Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm here in Louisville, headquarters of KFC Yum. They they've got a, a test KFC where before stuff hits big, it it's 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 there. You can go try that out. And then when the double down came out, there was lines, people people wanted this heart attack in, in a in a bag. Stay in your lane, Burger King. I don't want any hot dogs. I'm not trying to get any, any chicken fries. Just give me my burger and fries and let me be on my way. The double down was good, by the way. Uh, I'll just throw that out there. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't um, doubt. I, I, I believe it. <laughs> I, I, I speak from experience. I'm just saying it. It was quite good. So, uh, did you now? Did you, you get know, the KFC? Where they put everything in the bowl, and you just—it was just everything in the bowl that you want. It was a layer of corn, a layer of chicken, a layer of mashed potatoes, oh, yeah. gravy on top, whatever that bowl yeah. was. Look, man. Yeah, the mashed potato uh, bowl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's like if you're if you are sick, if you're under the weather. That is so good. It's just the gravy, and you know. Uh, you got a cold or something and not feeling good, that's something quick, still comfort food. That's that's good. Even when you're not sick. I'm not saying that's just, like, sick food, but it's, it's good regardless. But especially if you're not feeling well, it's just that, you know, that warm, comforty food. 
you know, run and get you one of those bowls or something and nurse yourself back to health. <laughs> but that's just me. I'm saying, I, I, was, I was a fan of the bowl. It's been a long time since I had one, but I was all right with the bowl. Well, yeah, I, I I had to pass. There's too much going on that it, it don't it is not clicking for me. But that's all right. And it's got the sweet corn, huh? And it's got that sweet, got the sweet corn, you know, like this sweet corn on the cob. Ooh, yeah, it was. Oh. It just kind of it, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I knew I had to throw it. We had to talk about this because I knew it would be a good conversation. That took me. When I saw that Burger King was getting a hot dog, I said, well, oh, got to talk about that tonight. It would be the same thing as if there was ever a place called Hot Dog King, which there isn't, but if there was, it'd be like Hot Dog King putting hamburgers on the menu. That's what this is. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, stay in your lane. You know, you can get wraps at McDonald's. That's just, there's just too much going on, man. Just give me my three options. A small hamburger, <laughs> a medium hamburger, and a big one. Just, just let me just let me live my life. There you go. That's it. Scoreboard watching real quick. We got South Carolina up fifteen to twelve on LSU. About twelve and a half left in the first half, and then when you go to uh, Alabama, Texas A&M, they're tied at seventeen apiece about halfway through the first half. Both of them started about the same time. Um, tough test on the road for A&M. Alabama's going to be ready to play. And, of course, South Carolina, is, as we mentioned, is already better than we thought. And no doubt they're going to be up for LSU as well. And um, they were up 14-7, to and, and LSU was looking a little rattled, but they've made a couple plays and got a few baskets and cut the lead to three. Uh, so, We'll see how both of those play out. LSU going into tonight is, you know, first in the conference uh, with a record of 8-2. and two. Um, Kentucky's a half game back at 8-3. and three. South Carolina is 7-3. and three. So if South Carolina wins, they'll go to 8-3 and three with Kentucky. LSU will drop to 8-3. and three. And... Kentucky and South Carolina could be playing for first place Saturday if they hold on and beat LSU tonight. And then, of course, if, if Texas A&M wins, they'll be playing to keep pace with the winner of the Kentucky and South Carolina game. So you got to – and Florida's still hanging in at 7-4. and four. They're, they're lurking there uh, in the fifth spot, you know, after you get past all these teams that are tied. But uh, – we, we got a little scoreboard watch to do, and it'll, you know, it's kind of little pivotal moments between some of the top teams in the conference going on tonight, especially with South Carolina and LSU playing head to head. Exactly, that's the uh, that's the thing. Uh, I, I still like us to finish top two. Uh, I, I still think that uh, we can get it together. I don't think going to A&M is going to be as daunting as it probably looked after the Tennessee game. But I'd like to, I'd like to see us handle business uh, this weekend and, and, and move forward. And South Carolina went to A&M and got a win as well. You talk about it looking less daunting because they have 
they have come back to the pack. They had a they had a nice little lead and started off hot. Not saying they're they're just awful now, but I'm just saying that they can be caught because they have been caught and they could possibly be passed. It just depends on these next couple of weeks with, you know, all these teams playing head to head. I don't think anybody saw South Carolina going down there and beating them and then they drop a game at Vanderbilt or something like that. I don't think the way they were had been playing, people really saw them losing them too. And and people kinda of thought South Carolina had air. Yeah, they got a little inflated record, but they're they're gonna come down as well and they really have it. So factor all those things in and that's why everybody's right there all together fighting for for top spots. Yeah, that and and I think kudos to Frank Martin for knowing his team. And uh, I was one of those folks that looked at their pre-conference schedule and, and said, well, okay, they they will fall back to the back. But they have not. And going to A&M and winning, uh, uh, especially this season, is very, very difficult uh, to do. So uh, it's not going to be an easy game. Uh, it's a game I believe the Cats can win, but they're going to have to – they're going to have to play this, this, and we've said this from the beginning of the season, this team, you know, we've had some, some great teams uh, under Cal that won a lot of games just on talent alone. This team is talented, but they're not quite to that level yet. They've really got to bring it. And as we talked about earlier, it's got to be the, the post guys. Yeah, for sure. Just like you say, be serviceable, consistently serviceable. Don't be serviceable for a game and then we don't see you for three and a half games. Be consistently serviceable game in and game out. That's that's all anybody's asking. Yeah, and and they don't have to be uh, – we're not asking for double-doubles from everybody. But we've got to cut down on the fouls. And we've got to rebound better. That's, those are the two big things that our uh, guys have to do, and they have to finish around the rim. When when Murray and when Eulis uh, and, and uh, Briscoe are driving and attacking, you've got to be able to get that ball and score it. So uh, I, South Carolina is going to be a big test to see what the guys can do on the road because uh, you know, our, our woes have been, been on the road. South Carolina is going to be a difficult place to play, and uh, I definitely want to see those guys get a W. Definitely. Um, before we jump Super Bowl, two little music notes. <clears throat> I think the last time we talked to it was, it was Natalie Cole. Was a lot of these legends are, are, are passing away. We did mention Glenn Fry of the Eagles, and now since then we also have Maurice White of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Start off with Glenn first. Were you an Eagles guy? I'm sure, I mean, everybody knows their songs. Were you a big fan or kind of casual or? Uh, casual. I mean, you know who the Eagles were and, and, and that, but that, I mean, I think anybody over the age of 25 knows Hotel California and, and all that. Not really my cup of tea, but you know how they, how, how much they influence other acts as well. So definitely, uh, with him passing on, that is a, a huge loss for for such a legendary group like that. 
Yeah. And then I know you remember because I remember, and just for the record, you're about three months older than I am, so I'm sure you remember uh, when Glenn Fry went solo, and I know you remember that song from the 80s, The Heat Is On. I don't, it might have been a soundtrack to a movie or something, but I know and that song was on the radio all the time back that, in the was That was... That was Beverly Hills Cop. That, which, the the soundtrack is 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 underrated. I actually have the soundtrack on cassette tape. But uh, yeah, the heat is <laughs> on. That was a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, song. I knew you would know that. I'm not a movie guy at all. As far as me just watching a movie by myself, or just you know. If a group of people are watching movies or, you know, my wife's watching something I'll watch, but other than that, I'll never watch a movie. So I knew you would know if it was a soundtrack or not. I had no idea that it was, but it, it makes sense. Uh, but that song was huge back in the day, back in the 80s, uh, back when Glenn Fry the Eagles went solo for a minute. Um, of course, the Eagles were huge themselves. Uh, I want to say that they were, I mean, a lot of people were fans of them. I will say the Victim of Love by Eagles. Pull that up on YouTube. That is underrated. If I got to pick a favorite Eagles song, that is it. Because it just hits kind of hard. The guitar kind of just jumps out at you at the beginning. It's got a little little strong little beat to it. So I'm like, okay. Uh, so that's my pick for uh, for the Eagles. D-Moo to Earth went fire. And, I mean, that's, that's wheelhouse stuff you grew up with. And Maurice White, the lead singer, just passed away at the age of 74. And I don't even know if I can pick a favorite Earth, Wind & Fire song. No, all. There's still a few maybe that I haven't seen. I heard some in, in, in the past few days. I was like, wow, I hadn't even heard that one before. But, I mean, all the stuff they came out with, After Love is Gone, September, Reason. Love's Holiday, we can just keep going on and on and on. I was listening to the uh, Steve Harvey show. Uh, he comes on early in the morning, and he did, like, a tribute all day because he was a fan in high school, got to know them personally. Just They just got to become friends with all of them. When they got their Lifetime Achievement Award uh, at the BET Awards, Steve was the one that introduced them. Uh, there's been other times they've called and he's been out there and, and did various functions and events with them. He was like a super fan and they were friends on top of that. But he just played song after song throughout his whole show the day after Maurice Flight passed away. And it was, I mean, just, you know, playing the records and all the stuff your mom and dad had and all that. And what, I mean, do you even have a favorite Earth, Wind and Fire song? Uh, or, or can you even pick one? I know you got thoughts on them as well. So I'll just quit rambling now and be quiet my own stuff. Well, I, I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire, that, they were one of those groups where, and and things started changing. I, I think the music industry started, started changing in the, uh, about the mid-90s. Once the cassette singles, Started, it wasn't so much about making a great album. It was, let me get a hit song. Earth, Wind, and Fire, and those guys, they made great albums. Now, there were songs that were popular, yes. 
But there were albums that you could put on and you could just listen. So there was always a song you knew, but your parents could put on that LP and taking it way back, okay, and and, and you knew they were going to jam for the whole thing. And there isn't a bad Earth, Wind, and Fire song. There isn't a song no. that's like, this is filler so they can have a song on the CD. That, that's not the case. That's not what... That's not what happened. And they really paved the way for a lot of other acts. So uh, that's a huge, huge dent in the uh, in the music industry. And, you know, I'll be honest, in the black community. I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I, I, I don't know anybody's uncle that didn't want to put on some Earth, Wind, and Fire at some family gathering. I I, I it always it always seemed to happen that Earth Wind you, you just it, it it was the soundtrack to a lot of of get-togethers and with Maurice White that's a that's a big one you know uh, and, and you realize it was like him and Glenn Fry, those those musicians you grew up on well they're older you know they yeah. you know your parents age and older so it's one of those things that the music. You know, especially of the mid to late seventies that you and I grew up on. You know, those guys are, uh, you know, they're getting up in age. But Earth, Wind, and Fire—they put on great concerts. They were touring up until you know recently. So uh, it's uh, uh, definitely a, a, a huge, huge loss. Yeah, and uh, Steve actually put up on one of his sites, I think steveharvey.com, the YouTube video of him introducing Earth, Wind, and Fire for their Lifetime Achievement Award. And, you know, he gave a, a stirring introduction, flashback to some songs. Of course, there are a lot of the newer musicians sitting out there. And of course, they knew Earth, Wind, and Fire songs. They're sitting on the front row. They're sitting scattered throughout the auditorium. But Steve said, you you can't have, first of all, he said, you can't have any music that, if your music ain't on an eight track, you can't get one of these, because that means you ain't, you too new, you ain't been doing this long enough. He said, your music got to be on an eight track to get one of these Lifetime Achievement Awards. So that means you have to be doing this for a lot of years on a high level. He said, you can't have a CD and get one of these. You can't have a couple CDs and get one of these right here. You know, he was he was driving that point home of how they sustained the excellence for decades and they didn't flip. And 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 that's the thing. Uh, I can't remember. It was a couple of years ago. I was watching one of these award shows, and and Rihanna won a Lifetime Achievement Award. And said so she only oh. been out for five years. What? What? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, and I, I was like, you you've got to be kidding me. Look, the, uh, I, there are there are groups. There there you you've got your one hit wonders. You've got yes. your group that 
can put together uh, three or four albums of of relevance, and then you got the super groups, the super acts that that can get it done. And there's not a bad album, and I say album because I'm old. There's not a bad album in the catalog, and that's a rarefied air. Earth, Wind, and Fire is up there. When I look at the the musical landscape today, I, I don't know. I, you know, the the boy bands, NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, were popular a few years ago, but they've gone. You know, Justin Timberlake has blown up, but but those groups have fallen by the wayside. Look, there are acts that even if you – here's how I judge a great artist. If you hear they're coming in concert to your town, and if you stop and you start thinking, you know, I could go, and you start those wheels turning, that's a good artist. Because a lot of times there's acts that come to the Yum Center, I say, well, you know, I, Whatever. But if you actually consider going to see those people, those are one of those. That's one of those people. That's one of those acts that you want to see. And Earth, Wind, and Fire was up there because they had yeah. staying power. They had been doing it for years, as Steve Harvey said. You know, uh, Hammer was big for a bit, but he fell off. You know, uh, you know, other people have come and gone. I say this at every musical award show. Prince could walk out on stage as another performer is performing, grab the guitar, start rocking out, and nobody would be mad. Today. Today. Prince could do that. He's about the only person right now that could just say, walk out to whoever's on stage, tell them to sit down, start jamming, and the crowd would get excited. Prince is on that level. If Michael Jackson was still with us and he wasn't crazy, he would be on that level. The... the and Earth, Wind, and Fire was, was that close to that is what I'm trying to tell people. But let, let me put it back. I got all excited. Let me sit back down. I'm walking around and everything. Oh. I'm, I'm cool. Oh, that's, hey, that's, <laughs> hey, that's all right. And I would say of the people that maybe kind of started when we were coming up or teenagers, Mary J. Blige is entering that, that realm of where she's been. I mean, she's been solo since, you know, 91, 92. She, I mean, she's been at it a quarter of a century her own self with a lot of albums, kids, with a lot of good songs. And, you know, she keeps it up. She'll be in, you know, she's getting older, we're getting older. She'll be in line for one in the coming years. You know, it's not like she... She came out with real love and what's four one one, and then you didn't hear from her for for twelve, fourteen years. You know, she's been steady knocking out good CDs now for a long time. Yeah, uh, I tell you, what struck me today, and I'm trying to, I'm looking to see who tweeted this out. And I know we got on our musical kick, but let me find this real quick. I don't know if you follow Dragonfly Jones on Twitter. Uh, great follow on Twitter. But he tweeted out something today that made me stop and think. Outcast, uh, you know, the rap group Outcast, they were in yes. their mid-20s by the time they got to ATL. They had put out four all-time great 
CDs before they were 25. Mm. And I just thought that was phenomenal. By the age, by when uh, I think it was Big Boy is, is younger, by the time he was 25, they had four all-time great rap albums. Mm. And I just thought yeah, that it. that was... Wow. Yeah, that's that's strong. Oh, I'm sorry. They, had, they, they had three. Yeah, they had a Southern Playalistic, AT Aliens, and Aqua. I can never say this one. Aqua, Aqua, whatever the A one. Uh, all before they, actually before twenty before they twenty huh? Aquimini, right? Whatever. I can. I've never been able to say that. That city is <laughs> twenty years old. So whatever. Whatever, man. But they did all this and, and had these three great albums. I, I don't know, laugh at me, but I've never been able to say it. <laughs> and I think Big Boy is Big Boy is just like a year, a couple years old enough. I think he just turned forty-one the other day. Yeah, so but they I, but they had this, they had this 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 catalog before they're in their mid twenties. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Unbelievable. But, I mean, I knew we had to we had to talk about all that just just for a minute because, you know, we love sports, love UK. That's the foundation of the show. We branch out into other sports. And then we love music and food. So, that, you know, we always end up talking occasionally from time to time when, Situation marriage, we'll hit some music, we'll hit some food, so that's what we, we did both in this last few minutes. Who who knows what you're going to get when you tune in? <laughs> that's the beauty of it. <laughs> oh, well, we go ahead, we go ahead and flip down to putting the finishing touches on Super Bowl 50. Denver beat Carolina 24 to 10. Uh, Denver's defense surprisingly, in my opinion, throttled Carolina. Uh, we saw what they did in New England and Tom Brady and that banged-up O-line. Uh, I didn't see them. I saw them, you know, causing problems because they're good defense, number one defense in the league. But I thought the Panthers would hold up a little bit better against it, and it, it just didn't happen. They – Swarmed Carolina from the jump, uh, put a touchdown on the board themselves, um, and, and then you know, um, and then the other fumble recovery they got set up another touchdown later. So they they put Denver in short field. Say man didn't have to do a whole lot um, because Carolina's offense wasn't doing anything, and it was a defensive game all the way and. and a struggle and a, a, a slugfest, and, and Denver got the better of it all the way around. Yeah, I, I really underestimated Denver's front line. They, yeah, uh, I mean they they wore out the Carolina offensive line, and and, yeah. and the adjustments that Carolina made it really didn't make a bit of difference. I think. This was the one game, especially after Brown for the Panthers went out, I think this was the one game where 
the Panthers and Cam Newton miss having a, a big time receiver. When yeah. your big, when your best yeah. receiver is, is your tight end, that's not a long term strategy because usually with your tight end lining up so tight and you've got to get rid of the ball quickly, that can't happen because your tight end has got to fight through a lot of traffic. I think had – and let me say this. I, I watched it with my friend Ralph. It was the two of us. This is going to be our new thing for the Super Bowl. Just the, the two of us watching the game. And when you've got Ted Ginn Jr., and he was a 49er, and he will have some spectacular plays, but then it's the routine plays where it's like you can't go to him. And when, when, when Cam is throwing to him, and, and if he's not dropping it, he's not – putting himself in the best position to make the catch, if that makes sense. When that your, becomes your number one option, I said the Panthers are doomed. You can't win with Ted Ginn being your number one. And, and yay, it came to pass that, you know, that's what happened. Uh, but Denver's defense did it. Uh, it was not a, a great football game to watch just because it was – and I wouldn't even say it was because it was a de- defensive game. It just – it was just tough to watch, uh, for for my money. Uh, but Peyton gets his second ring. Maybe he will ride off into the sunset. We'll see. Uh, but uh, you, you got to tip your hat to uh, what Denver was able to do, and and really stymie New England, who I thought had one of the better offensive in the AFC, and. Uh, Carolina, and you saw what they were able to do in the NFC, you know, against the uh, the Cardinals. Although the Carolina defense, and this gets overlooked, the Carolina defense did not play poorly. You know, they were they were holding the line pretty good for most of the game, holding the Broncos' offense to some field goals and, and doing some things on their end. But the Broncos' defense was just far and away uh, the the most dominant unit on the field on Sunday. Yeah. Like, so I'm, I'm with you. I was just surprised to see, see such domination. Um, it, you know, had to be happy for Dave for Mason. Uh, this is his second time in the Super Bowl. It didn't go well against Seattle. And so he's able to say he's a Super Bowl champion now. And proud for, uh, Marcus Ware, after all these years in the league and all those years in Dallas, uh, mentioned it last week. But so, you know, happy to see him get a ring. I was pulling for the NFC, though. I'm an NFC guy. And Peyton already had one. So I was wanting to see Cam, you know, get one as well. And just it just wasn't the case. Uh you saw him with some, some inaccurate throws, some open throws that sailed on him. And uh, you always look at quarterbacks, especially in playoff situations. It's been the case for years. Um, back when Dallas used to play Green Bay in the divisional rounds and one, one time in the NFC title game. And, you know, Brett Farr would come out and, and just, just humming passes high, you know, and having to settle himself down. We saw that with Cam on that first throw. When he did get the ball to his receivers, there were some drops. There were some passes that should have been caught. 
that led to some interceptions. Um, Cam was fumbling, you know. The pressure was getting to him, had some, some strip sacks and things like that going on throughout the evening. And it just wasn't going to be the Panthers' day at all. Um, and and, that's and, kind of just in a and I think there's some things we can talk about. You know, Cam Newton, I'm a fan. Uh, as soon as he had that fumble and looked to – and well, he he did not get involved in the recovery. I knew right then. I said that is going to be the story of the Super Bowl. Was Cam not not yeah. going after the fumble? But then you followed up with the with the press conference uh, situation, and and that's going to be the lasting memory because those people that had been calling Cam cocky. And all this—that was the—that was the nugget they needed to prove their point. Uh, I saw Magic Johnson on Sports Center yesterday talking about it, and he said that he was a sore loser. You get to that high level, everybody's a sore loser. You go out, you answer those questions, and you move on. He said, you know, Cam could have handled it a bit differently, but. When you say someone's a sore loser, at that level, they all are. You know, you hear a lot of these all-time greats talk about the fear of of losing being more of a motivator than the actual joy of winning. And uh, so, I, those things I know are going to hang around Cam, but he's got a he's got some more years uh, ahead of him to kind of rewrite that a little bit. So. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, but uh, and, he, and he played well. I mean, when you look at the, the time he was getting and, and that kind of stuff, and the uh, the Broncos did what they've been doing they 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 beat him up, not in any vicious sense, but they 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 really beat him up, and and, and that took its toll uh, on the fourth uh, on the fourth quarter. And. No doubt the the press conference will get beaten to death, but it is going to be a moment. I, I say he, he'll learn from it, and if he gets there again, he'll he'll handle it better. Like you said, with Magic and some of these other guys, um, we saw the Pistons just walk off the court in '91, not shake the Bulls' hands. They say the Celtics did them the same way when they finally beat. Boston. Uh, of course, that wouldn't, if it is on line somewhere, it hasn't been publicized much when Detroit did it against Chicago. Uh, and what's getting overlooked, too, Cam did graciously go up and, and shake Peyton's hand on the field. He didn't just walk off the field. Uh, so, you know, he has, like, a, um, the guy for the Eagles, Brian Dawkins was on with Herm Edwards. Uh, as far as the press conference, you do, bro. You mean it's it's hard in that situation to have to fool with, ask your questions. You just the finality of everything. The season's over. Just lost the Super Bowl. No doubt you have visualized things going differently. Everybody visualized how their Super Bowl is going to be. You're going to win. It's going to be great. Emmitt Smith visualized how he thought the day would be when he broke Walter Payton's record. He visualized you know it's going to be a sunny day. 
Walter Payton's going to be on the sideline. They're going to stop the game. He's going to be able to go and have a moment. Walter, Walter Payton then passed away. The Cowboys were a bad team. Emmett kind of sputtered and struggled and tripped and fell and crawled his way to the run that broke the So it didn't go how you planned it out. No doubt it didn't go the way Campbell planned it. Uh, he'll be in this situation again, you know, and will probably handle himself better, continue to uh, adapt to being in this situation. Uh, I've heard both ways on the fumble. There's, you know, people that are blasting for There's players that are kind of having his back. Uh, Marcellus Wiley on Sports Nation cited uh, Drew Brees when they were teammates in San Diego. Drew Brees was uh, sacked and went in to get a fumble and got his shoulder just ripped to shreds. And then the next year, of course, you know, they draft Phillip Rivers. Uh, Brees dove in trying to get that fumble and got his, you know, shoulder just just torn apart. And I remember that. I was watching that game. So I can I can see it from that aspect, too. I can also see it from the standpoint, hey, it is a Super Bowl. And like Cam said the next day, that fumble didn't lose in the game. But when Denver got it, that pretty much ensured that they were about to win the game. Uh, well, and from, and, and, a, from a from a physical standpoint, we talk about how big and strong Cam is when he has the ball in his hand and, and the damage he can deliver. So you might, you know, you're as the markers where they're going for it. You might want to use that size in getting the ball too. So I can see both sides of that one, and I think he'll learn from the press conference situation going forward. And, and he'll learn, and, and that's the yeah. thing, is you always, uh, generally speaking, have a way of rewriting uh, history over some things that happened earlier in your career. You have a chance to regroup. Uh, Scotty Pippen, although it's still talked about, when he did not go into the game uh, during the 94 season in the, in the playoffs against the Knicks because the play was not drawn up for him. Luckily, yeah. Jordan came back in three more titles, and that becomes a footnote. People yeah. don't remember that uh, Magic kind of had a, a, a mini mutiny early in his Laker career to bring Pat Riley in as head coach. But five championships and nine trips to the finals, you forget that. <laughs> uh, the problem with the problem what with what happened with the Pistons and walking off with the Bulls was Michael Jordan. Because Michael it, it, they did it to Jordan. He became the face of the NBA and we know how how petty he can be, you know, by keeping Isaiah off of the dream team and that kind of thing. That's what doomed the Pistons was Jordan was the, the ascending star, and, and and that was the narrative that stuck, was the Pistons, poor losers. Even if the Celtics had done it before them, and then, you know, teams before them had done that, they got caught in the optics of doing it to Jordan. Because there's that, that image of them walking past Jordan and, 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 and Scotty and those guys on the bench you know, they had to walk right past the visitor's bench there. Um, so there's that optics of that. 
So if Newton comes back, wins a Super Bowl or two, you know, you kind of forget about it. You know, people forget about Eli Manning kind of pouting his way out of San Diego to get to New York in the first place. Why? Two Super Bowl titles. We we forgive a lot. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. You know, that's just for on-the-field stuff. We we will yeah. explain a lot of stuff away uh, if you give us if you if you give us a chance. I mean, you know, uh, you know, T.O. was the same player from uh, his rookie season to his last season, but his act wore thin when he lost some time off that forty. That's the way that happened. You know, uh, when you can do some something to uh, erase those memories, I think that's good. And Cam's got time. He's going to come back. Yeah. The team will be healthy. I think they'll retool on the offense a little bit. Carolina will be back. They'll be in that mix. I don't know if they'll be back in the Super Bowl, but they'll be back in it, like Green Bay uh, and different things. So uh, I, I'm not going to knock Cam too much for that. Right, right. Now, on the flip side, Peyton Manning taking some time to decide what he's going to do. Um, I I think he should try to just ride off into the sunset. The arm is, you know, you made it through the season, got the Super Bowl, great defense, you know, similar to Elway. Elway was still better physically than Peyton is now. Um, but still, you know, he had Terrell Davis and, you know, some other weapons en route to that second title. Uh, if I'm Peyton and I'm trying to stay, you need to take a heck of a pay cut and stay in Denver to still play with that on the defense, you know, Von Miller and all those guys. But, you know, you got your two rings, you played in four Super Bowls, got records on top of records. You know, that that gave you 200 wins to win the Super Bowl, you know, regular season and postseason combined. I think you need to just go ahead and and, and go out on top because um, he's one hit away from getting himself really hurt bad with all the surgeries and stuff he's had with that, that neck and shoulder and, you know, the reports he can't even feel his hands and fingers when he's playing anyway. Um, that being said, if he comes out a few years down the road, it would not surprise me at all. As much as he's denied it and all that, if if this little I'm, I'm not hating, I'm not throwing shade at all. If this HDH is there a little more to it than we think, because competitors, athletes would do anything to get back on the field and prolong their career. And you know, if, if I'm not saying it's something that's going to come out, but if it does, it wouldn't shock. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, we'll see. I I don't want to, uh, you know, speculate, but I, I would like to see Peyton kind of ride off into the sunset. Uh, this this is a storybook ending. I don't think it's going to get any better this year. No. Uh, I mean, it was all he could do to get healthy for the playoffs this year. So I don't yeah. think he can go through another 16-game season plus. I, I don't. I, I don't see that happening. I think he, uh, I think he moves on, and I'm okay with that. I like when guys go out on their own terms. Sometimes, as sports fans, we get uh, we get greedy and, and needy of guys coming and going as we see fit. With Marshawn Lynch retiring, 
Calvin Johnson re- retiring. Go go out on your own terms. Uh, these guys that have made a lot of money, when when they look at the same things we do, they know that there's only so much stuff you can do to your body and have a productive post-football career. And I, these guys have to be thinking about that. Calvin Johnson says to himself, I've made $100 million. I'm good. As long as I don't do st- stupid stuff, I'm good. I'm set. Yeah. Do I, you know, I've got, you know, I'm in my 20s. I can have 40, 50 more years to live. What kind of quality of life do I want? And right. I, I think it would be different if, I mean, he's he's with Detroit. Detroit is not going to the Super Bowl anytime soon. That That's just the way it is. I, I think if he was a different situation, maybe he has a different decision, but Marshawn Lynch, I got my Super Bowl ring. I'm about that action, boss. Right off into the sunset. I'm okay with that. You know, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, you go out when you want to go out. Even my man, Jerry, toward the end, it kind of hurt my heart. He went to Seattle, didn't play, and, and, and was really struggling in training camp with Denver before he finally walked away. Go out on your own terms. I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm not going to dictate to anybody how their dream should or, or should not end. That's not my decision. That's that's between them and and, and their family. Exactly. Exactly. Got about a minute or two before the part where we're on ends, but everything we do past eight will be on the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash chat talk. Um, real quick, just want to hit on the, the Hall of Fame nomination, uh, as well as Big Blue in the NBA All-Star Weekend. And first, real quick, this is from the Knucklehead, so ProFootball.com. Uh, the season just ended. We're talking about Sunday. The Super Bowl just ended. The football season officially ended Sunday. For some, you know, if you didn't make the playoffs, you already got bounced out. You've been out for a few weeks. And we already getting way too much rap sheet mug shot type stuff. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, police recommended criminal charges for the fight he got in. Uh, officers punched, kicked, stomped multiple times by him and the three other suspects. Uh, for the Browns, Armonte Bryant indicted on felony drug charges. Uh, from an arrest that happened back in December at a traffic stop in Cleveland. It's still a ways. I mean, football is year-round. I get it, but we're not even to NFL free agency, not even to the draft yet, not even to OTAs and training camp. Guys got to keep it together when the season's over with. Uh, I know you got that structure of the season and all that, but you just got to kids don't act the fool, get in trouble. As soon as you get, you know, a little free time back, in the offseason. Well, and, and, and the problem is, uh, and I don't know the, the numbers if, if professional athletes, football players are involved in in more uh, crimes in the general population. I know there's numbers out there. I don't know them off the top of my head. But if you are in that situation 
you you need a guy who is going to be a be a buffer and, and not especially if you're getting into stuff at the club and, and, and whatnot. You just need to be careful of where you go. I mean, that, it's, it's just that simple. You've got guys that want to, uh, you know, test you because you're an athlete. You don't. You don't need no. all that. You, you need to be better than that uh, for those type of situations. It, it it makes zero sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We're not even close to the season starting back, and and it's already stuff jumping off. You know, like you said, stay in your lane. Just just keep it, keep that low profile. Enjoy your off season, but you know, just keep your rest and all that off of it. And you know, that's what this is just. And I'm not even looking. I'm just just scrolling through Twitter and profile. Bam, bam. Of course, the, the McCoy stuff made you know big time news. He's a big time player, and you know that was kind of everywhere. But I was just scrolling and saw this. You know, linebacker for the Browns, and you know, I'm like, here we go, already. And you know, not even a week into the off season for the NFL. Moving to the other news, football news. As a Niner guy, do you think T.O. should have went into the Hall of Fame? We saw you know Brett Favre, Marvin Harrison, Orlando Pace, um, and Tony Dungy, and Ken Stabler, who I thought was already in, but. Numbers alone, forget, you know, how he acted fool. Forget the – I say forget him stomping on the doggone star. Should T.O. have went in in his first year of eligibility? Yes. Yes. I think so, too. Uh, matter of fact, I, I gave him extra votes for staying on the star, but that's just me. Uh, when you look <laughs> at his numbers – George C. didn't hit him really, hard enough. <laughs> Your cheek didn't hit him hard enough. <laughs> right. Now, 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 really, when you look at his numbers, but he was a difference maker. When when he was with the Niners, I, I remember uh, that catch he had uh, against Green Bay in the divisional round that year, and the the call with the Owens. Owens. He he was he was he was great in San Francisco. He was great in Dallas. He was great. In uh, Philly, when you when you think about he, I don't want to say single handedly, but he drugged the the Eagles to that Super Bowl and made plays yeah. in that Super Bowl even though he was injured for a chunk of that year. I think the off the field stuff, I think that's what prevented him to go in this year, especially when I heard he didn't even make the round of fifteen. Are you kidding me? You know he's he's third in, in touchdowns. I mean he's in, in yards. And are are you kidding me with that? Uh, he deserved to be in. So I, I have a huge issue with that, to be honest. Um, but the other and people, I, are, I, I've got. I'm sorry. His numbers are better than Marvin Harrison's, right? Yeah, yeah. That's and, what I thought. And, uh, but I think the the flashiness, I think uh, it, it did him in. I, I think it rubbed a lot of NFL people uh, the wrong way, which just shows uh, a flaw to the NFL's Hall of Fame selection. Uh, also a flaw to the 
you know, baseball is just ridiculous in how they do it. I, I think basketball does it the best, where it's not – it's just the Basketball Hall of Fame. Whatever level, it's just the Hall of Fame for the sport. I think, to me, that's better than what we have set up for some of the others. Although I've been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, and thoroughly enjoyed it, I won't go this year because – there will be a ton of Packers fans there, and and I'd rather avoid that. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry if you're Packers fans out there listening, but I'll just avoid all that. Thank you very much. Uh, my friend, my might be some Vikings yeah, and Jets fans there, too. <laughs> well, yeah, well. Well, we talked about our trip to uh, the NFL Hall of Fame, and we went, uh, oh, gosh, about six years ago now when Jerry Rice and Emmett Smith got inducted. And, uh, of course, there was a good contingent of 49ers fans, but there were Cowboys fans out the wazoo and Steelers fans because Dick LeBeau was going in as a player, oh. not as a, anything to do with the Steelers, but and yeah. there was a father and son sitting next to us. And he said uh, they lived close by, somewhere in Ohio. And he said the Cowboys, the Steelers, and the Packers, those three fan bases bring it. If they've got somebody going in, they show up, and it is ridiculous. So it's going to be jam-packed. It's going to be jam-packed for for Brett Favre uh, going in and, and Marvin Harrison, those guys. I'm glad. Eddie DeBarlo is a junior is going in. Yeah, uh, being a Forty ers guy, his impact uh, on the Forty ers uh, being the owner that brought in Bill Walsh when it didn't make a lot of sense for him to do that, and and, and being part of the process to draft Joe Montana, and uh, you know there was that unknown receiver from Mississippi Valley State, uh, Delta Devils <laughs> that they took a chance on. Uh, Jerry Rice, you all may have heard of him, uh, but just uh, hey, I mean, if, if you set the table for five Super Bowls, that's pretty darn good in in, in my book. So I'm glad he's finally getting that recognition because there's been a lot of uh, a push in the 49er fandom. Yeah, this needs to happen. You know, there's other contributors in, and he did a lot when you look at the impact that uh, the 49ers had in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, the coaching tree that kind of came of that. So definitely uh, I'm glad he's finally getting his uh, his due. Right. <clears throat> definitely. Um, real quick before we get to Big Blue in the NBA All-Star Weekend, now I don't know, but it's probably, you know, Elias Sports Bureau's probably got all this on file, all these numbers recorded. But do you think that Marvin Harrison will have the shortest Hall of Fame induction speech in the history of Hall of Fame induction speeches? Yes. Uh, I, I've been telling people probably because he's going to invoke his Fifth Amendment uh, privileges <laughs> and not say a whole lot. Um, and, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Bomani Jones, Jones won't say his name. If you look, if you look at it, Bomani Jones won't say it, 
for those of you that don't know why, you need to Google a Sports Illustrated story from, oh, I guess four or five years ago now uh, of Marvin Harrison and some things that he's been kind of accused of being involved in in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just going to leave that I alone. Think, uh, I think his speech would have been the shortest even if all that wouldn't have happened unless he became quiet after getting started all that. I, I don't know. Yeah, but he's going to have a short speech, and uh, that's also the thing. There's no time limit on the speeches, so it can get it can get a little long uh, when you're sitting there for the Hall of Fame Hall of Fame induction. Uh, some of those speeches can get, but it's the, it's their moment. Uh, like I said, I enjoyed it when I went. I will probably go back to another one of those ceremonies because I really had a a good time. Uh, but I'm not going with Brett Favre going in, no sir. Uh-uh, no yeah, problem. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I'll have to – I still need to make my first trip up there, and I'll have to, to keep that in mind as far as the, the Packers and Steelers are concerned when I do plan a trip up there. Oh. Yeah, definitely. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, NBA All-Star weekend. <clears throat> All-Star break is coming up, to it, and there's only – it's only like 28, 29 regular season games afterwards, which is just crazy to think that they, you've got to play 54 games already, 51, however many. Uh, and, I mean, it's always the case, but this first part of the season seems to just gone by extra fast. Uh, and then, you know, the downside is, is a lot quicker, and then it's playoff time before we know it. But this weekend in Toronto, skills competition – uh, they've incorporated big men into it this year. And three of the four big men are U.K. guys. The Marcus Cousins, Carl Towns, Anthony Davis, uh, and Draymond Green are going to be the big men in in the uh, the front court portion of the skills competition. Uh, a lot of people were, were talking about Marcus Gasol should have gone in, and, and probably so, but now he's possibly lost for the season with a broken bone in his foot, uh, and Powell for possibly another mention should have been included as well. But who do you think does the best of the three UK guys, Boogie, A.D., Cat, K.A.T., who do you think will end up having the best performance? You know they're going to have a little internal and, and verbal sparring going on amongst themselves just from a competition standpoint. I mean, they'll be having fun, but, you know, once once they get out there and get uh, to going, they'll check the score and see who's doing what. Who do you think end up, ends up uh, shining the best of the three big men? I, I'll tell you, those big guys, uh, the three U.K. guys, they are all light on their feet. For as big yes. as, and, and, and bulky as DeMarcus Cousins looks, you see those highlights, he is very quick on his feet. So I, mm-hmm. I think ruling him out just based on that is is, is too much. I, I will go – I'm going to go with AD. I'm going to go with the brow because he's just an absolute freak of nature. And it, it's tough to pick between those three Kentucky guys, but if I had to, uh, I would go with Anthony Davis. 
it's hard to go against him, and as good as the other ones are, just him being versatility-wise, he might, on paper, have a have a slight edge over him. As good as Cat and Boogie are, AD still might be the favorite. Uh, Devin Booker in the three-point contest is steps to lose. We all know that. I mean, even with Clay Thompson in it last year, uh, it was still, you know, Steph still won out. Devin Booker was getting Clay Thompson comparisons before he even halfway started his career at Kentucky. Now he's in the NBA, having good games, shooting the ball well, going through a coaching change in a rough season. Jeff Hornacek didn't make it through this season, so he's already plunged into the business side of things. But he could be an all-star playing on Sunday very soon. We talked about that last week. Uh, he's going to be in the competition in the shooting, the three-point contest. Uh, how do you think he does first time, you know, head-to-head with some of the other great shooters in the league? Is he, uh, well, m- here's my thought on, on Booker. I know it's Steph's lose, but Devin Booker, uh, last year when I was covering the games and I would get there early and watch him, he would go around the horn, uh, the three-point line, not right at the line, but he would – it was NBA range, and that's how he would warm up. And there would be stretches where he would go around and he would knock down 14, 15 in a row, 19 out of 20. So if he can get in the right kind of rhythm, I think he could do it. The problem is – he he jumps a lot in his shot, and uh-huh. as the rounds progress, I think the jump shooters I think are at a disadvantage because of the shoot shoot shoot, and then you sit and and shooting uh, shooting jump shots is hard work after a while. So I think the fir- I think he gets out of the first round, but I don't know if he's going to have that stamina to get past that, but absolutely he can get on a roll uh, uh, because I, I would see him hit shots from the corner where he takes two steps out of bounds you know, on the baseline and it goes through nothing but net. So I've, he can do it, but I don't know if he, he's got that stamina right now. And and would it be just a time around for all of that in an event such as that? I mean, it, it'll be – it would be cool for him going forward to have this under his belt. And then, you know, if he doesn't do it in the first time, he'll out in, in years to come uh, because, you know, he'll know the deal and will have been through it. Won't be, you know, in awe of Steph or, you know, he'll be not saying he's not trying to beat him this time, but he'll really come for him once he kind of goes through it and, and becomes an old veteran of how it works. Well, and this is the one thing I think the NBA All-Star game kind of does much better than NFL. Or Number one, these skills competitions, basketball translates into some of these kind of gimmicky one-on-one things, the dunk contest, the three-point contest. It's, it, you can kind of do that as a, as a individual, and it makes for great television. But now with Steph participating in three-point contests, well, now you've got the MVP. 
And for a while there, we went through a stretch in the NBA where the best, they weren't doing the Saturday night events. I don't think these young kids realize that when Michael Jordan and Dominic Wilkins dueled in the uh, dunk contest, that was a big deal. That was huge. That was must-see appointment television. You know, and then one year one guy was hurt and, and, and you know, took a couple. But that was that was huge. I, I remember that being the a big debate was you had these two superstars going at it in this event that really didn't mean a whole lot, but yet it meant everything. And I think when you get more stars participating – uh, like Anthony Davis, who is a star now, and then DeMarcus Cousins, those guys, and Draymond Green, who's done fabulous things in Golden State. When you get those guys competing in these events, I, I think it even makes it even more exciting. Definitely. Um, 1990, when Dominique won his second and last dunk contest, uh, the year before D. Brown did his, which – Basically, like he said on video today, it was a dab in in the air. He, he I was the first one to dab when he did his you know blind dunk where he couldn't see. Uh, but that was ninety one. Dominique won in nineteen ninety. Uh, he was in the league seven eight years when he won that. He was thirty years old when he won that dunk contest. Still doing it. Uh, same way, Doctor J. Dr. J was on the downside when he came into the NBA and was still out there, you know, in the the 84 dunk contest with Larry Nance and guys like that. So, yeah, you know, know, nobody realizes the import and the impact of what was going on, you know, when you see LeBron say, I'm going to do it and then not, and, and never do one. Never, ever do one. Kobe wanted it did it with one and done in it. When normally you would have had, you know, Kobe doing it for years, uh, you know, LeBron doing it for years, uh, and maybe you might have uh, Andrew Wiggins, LeBron showdown, this couple something like that. That's what used to happen back when we were coming. Yeah, and, and that's what the, the NBA is kind of going back to that, is let's have some of these superstars actually do these events. Because uh, there's a stretch in the dunk contest. It's like, who are these guys? You know, yeah. they're doing some great dunks, but it it, it just lost something because you're like, I don't know who these guys are. I I don't I don't know them. You know, yeah. you know, Desmond Mason won a dunk contest, and it, uh, so it's just one of those. Okay, who are these guys? And I know there's yeah. been some stretches yeah. where that's happened before, but I, I like to see the name guys get back in. Absolutely. Um, South Carolina's up 49-44 on LSU. Alabama's up 45-42 on Texas A&M. We have had a heck of a show. Talked about all kind of stuff from UK to Louisville to Super Bowl to Glenn Fry, Maurice White, the Eagles, Earth, Wind, and Fire to Cam Newton to Peyton Manning to Big Blue Nation in the NBA All-Star Game. Take of show TV, fun as always, and man, looking forward to next Wednesday already. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good stuff. We'll have the NBA uh, All Star Weekend to wraps up to another great show.
Absolutely. Kentucky and South Carolina, Saturday uh, in Columbia, tipped off at noon. Um, looking to have at least one guest, maybe more next week. Uh, as now tentatively, tentatively, Louis DeLuca, who is a photographer for the Dallas Morning News, actually the photographer for my last article on CameronMillsRadio.com. Uh, spoke with him to get permission to use one of his pictures in my article, uh, a picture of Emmitt Smith and, and Moose Johnson in the end zone in Super Bowl 30 against Buffalo, or the 28th against Buffalo, the second time they beat the Bills, I believe. Uh, so then, you know, just asked me like to come on the show, and he said he would, so we'll work out a time and all that for next week. Uh, we had Scott Utter back on and Bradley McKee, so I had a photographer and videographer on before. Love asking those guys questions because I don't know a whole lot about it. Won't be a lot of technical questions, but I'm still going to learn a ton uh, and just kind of see sports through their eyes. So uh, tune in next week, and we hope to have uh, Louis DeLuca, maybe some more guests on. We'll see, but it's going to be fun like it always is. Thanks for listening. Thank you for hopping on TV. Appreciate everything, and it's always a blast, man. Thank you much. You have a good one, and we'll see everybody next week. Let's see, y'all. Thanks again for listening. This has been another episode of Cat Talk Wednesday. More Kay Brown, Vinny Hardy here on the blog, talkradio.com. We'll see y'all next Wednesday. We'll holler at you then.